Hello, I'm Marcus Railton, and this is the Scots Care Podcast. Scots Care is the only charity dedicated to helping disadvantaged Scots in London through a range of support, including mental health therapy, financial grants, advocacy, sheltered housing for older Scots, job coaching, social events, befriending, and support for children and families. The charity's been running for 400 years to help break the cycle of poverty experienced by some Scots. In this series of the Scots Care podcast, I'll be chatting to celebrities and supporters of the charity that have also forged a life in the capital away from home and about the ups and downs that can bring. The force is strong in today's guest. He is actor Duncan Pow. Duncan played Sergeant Melshi in Star Wars Rogue One and has also appeared in 24, The Night Manager, Black Mirror and many other high-profile roles. He's an extremely busy man, so I am very grateful to get some time with him today and talk about his life's journey so far. Scots Care. Helping to break the cycle of deprivation for Scots in London. Hi, Duncan. Hiya. Thanks for joining me. I know you're busy. <laughs> I'm not busy, but you're welcome. <laughs> but do you know what? I, first of all, I want to say thank you because you have made me vaguely interesting to my children for the first time in a long time. I said to I said to Noah, my 13-year-old, I'm interviewing Sergeant Melshi from Rogue One, a Star Wars story, and he was genuinely impressed. Genuinely, because I thought, he's seen it, but I thought, I'll show him. Anyway, yeah, yeah, I know who he is. I know who he is. So he was genuinely impressed. But then it kind of tipped over into, but how are you talking to him? Why do you get to talk to him? So he's impressed by you, but reinforcing the fact that I'm a nothing. <laughs> well, well, if he knew me, he'd be less impressed, I'm sure. <laughs> and Rafe, my nine-year-old, I said, oh, do you, you've seen it, Rafe. And, you know, I'm interviewing Sergeant Melshi from Rogue One, a Star Wars story. And he went, really? Oh, that, that's great. The guy with all the arms, who's the leader of the droid army. And I said, no, that's, <laughs> that's General Grievous. And he went, all right, then. So, <laughs> but, but you can't have everything. <laughs> then we got talking about Star Wars generally as a... Because he was talking about the dark side and he was talking about, this is my nine-year-old Rafe, he was talking about the, the light side. And he was saying, why is there a dark side and a light side? And, and, I, I was, and I don't know if you agree with this. I was saying, because Star Wars is a bit of a metaphor for life. We've all got a bit of a dark side because he was talking about Anakin and mm-hmm. turning into the dark side, but he started off as a good guy. Mm-hmm. And I says, it's just about, it is a kind of metaphor because you've just got to keep the light side uppermost in your heart as much as you can. Well, I agree for sure. I think it's... Uh... Well, we've all got light and dark, haven't we? And uh, I think it was uh, Jung, Carl, Carl Jung who said, uh, uh, enlightenment isn't some far off place where everything's bright and shiny and brilliant and beautiful. It's, uh, it's, it's knowing the darkness that exists within you and, and, and shining a light upon it. So I, I think, uh, well, the Star Wars is, is, is about that. You know, the, the, there's good and the bad everywhere. And, and, and you're right, the, the, the challenge is always to, to try and gravitate towards the light. Yeah, and I think as I get older, I feel that more and more is that you just got to try and do your best because have a bit of honour in everything you do because it's honour is just a gift that you can kind of give to yourself. Mm-hmm. Talking about Star Wars, do you still get recognised for that role? Because that was, you, you know, you're very prominent in that film. Well, no, I don't. I don't, I don't really get recognised for anything. Um, it, it almost never happens, which I, I, I kind of quite like, if I'm honest with you. Yeah, I get that. I get that. I mean, I, I think if you're just going around Sainsbury's and you're buying some mackerel and some toilet rolls, there must be nothing worse than somebody looking over your shoulder to see what your life life cycle habits are. 
<laughs> well, it's, it's never happened. I I've got nothing to compare it to. <laughs> <laughs> now, your career could have gone in a very different direction because you studied maths at university, didn't you? I did. Yeah, I, I studied maths and, and astrophysics um, uh, up in Edinburgh. <clears throat> and uh, well, I, I, I guess for the first, the first year of it, I was doing OK, but I wasn't really going in to university a great deal and you know I'd, I'd always wanted to be a footballer and so so um I kind of uh a degree was the, the, my second choice and I chose something that I was quite good at you know it, 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 bizarrely mathematics was something that came quite easily to me so I, I thought I'd go and study that and then about I think maybe about nine months into the the degree, I, I I lost a friend of mine that was was the same age, died in a car crash, and I had this you know shocking realization that life is short, so we should really do the things that we love doing rather than doing things maybe we don't enjoy to, yeah. to plan for a future that, that that might never come. So um, yeah, I, I I quit the degree after that, and uh, I went off and studied. Uh, well, media technology, film and TV production and, and, and uh, you know, editing and, and that kind of stuff. I went and did that in, in Leeds for four years. And did your parents support you at that point? Or did they say, Duncan, can you not stick in at the maths because, you know, you could have been a teacher or a lecturer or, you know, an engineer or all these things. That's a far more secure lifestyle choice than, than the one that you've chosen. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, you know, my mum... My, my has always supported me in, in nearly all of this, the decisions that I, I've made in life. You know, I, uh, except when I told her I was going to be an actor, <laughs> she, she, I remember her saying to me, you know, you've got a job. Why would you, why would you quit a job to, 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 to become an actor? And you know, you've, you've never trained and you've never done this and never done that. And then, well, she came and saw a, a play I was in and, and afterwards she came up and she just went, you have a go, son. Well done. Yes. Mm -hmm. I think that's it. I think as my kids, I've got three kids, and as as they get older, and my my thirteen year old, he's a lovely lad, but he struggles at school, and you know he's happy going to school, and he's got good mates, but he doesn't do brilliantly. And I think I come to the conclusion now that I want him to be. I'd rather he was happy than knuckle down and really harassed himself trying to get GCSEs or A levels. I just want to. I, I want him to come home and go. Oh, I, I had a good day, Dad. Well, I think the problem is, you know, when you go to school, you're you're taught to remember things. You know, it's a, it's a it's an accumulation of knowledge, and you're judged by how much you can remember. I mean, it's a long time since I was in school, but it, you know, they, they don't teach you about life, about the world, about the things that you need to 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 know. Of course, there's there's critical thinking involved, but you know, for instance, something like French. Uh, or, or Spanish or learning another language. Now, the reasons you would learn another language is because, well, it's, it's nice to be able to converse with people that don't come from where you, you come from. It, it mm. kind of opens you up to a, a larger part of the world. But in school, um, you're, you're kind of taught by, by rote and, and, and remembrance. And it's not, a lot, it's not a lot of fun, really. And, you know, you're immediately placed in competition with the other kids that are in your class. So, so everything comes... I, I think in school, rather than, you know, I, I think personally, every kid has a unique talent, something they're good at, something they love, something they enjoy doing, but that's not something they are taught to cultivate all the time. You know, of course, I'm making a, a sweeping generalization, but um, imagine the world would live in if um, the, the time was spent finding out what it is that, that kids enjoyed 
and tried to bring out that part of them and and to and to make it kind of uh, something that can serve them as they you know as, as they get older. If you love what you do, you will do it for no money. And if you do it for long enough, you'll eventually become an, an expert at that thing. And if you become an expert at anything, then eventually someone's going to pay you for it. So I think I would always lean towards doing what it is that you enjoy doing. Yeah, I think that's a wonderful sentiment. Yeah. But my wife has a friend who's, who's an actress and she's a great actress. We went to see a play that she was in and she blew me away. I didn't really know who she was. And, you know, and then she's, you know, she's been in a couple of things on TV, but she spends a lot of the time working behind a bar. Mm-hmm. So... Is it a case when when you make the choice to go into such a precarious profession, you just got to go all in. You just got to go for it. I can't remember who said it, but they said, you know, it's, it, the sitting around is what I get paid for. I, I, I do the acting for free. Um, <laughs> and it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a life choice. I, I remember I, I maybe got into it for, for, for some of the wrong reasons, I suppose. You know, I was working in, in London for a, a company as a, um, you know, video editor and, a, and an assistant producer for a financial television company. And um, I didn't particularly enjoy it. I didn't particularly enjoy the people. I didn't particularly enjoy the way as a 21-year-old I was sometimes spoken to by the, you know, the, the bosses of the company. I came home one day and my sister who'd gone to drama school, Lindsay, she said, and we'd done a, an interview that day. We'd done an interview uh, with Gordon Brown at number 10 uh, when he was the prime minister. It was about pensions. And it was about young people and pensions. And I had ventured an opinion in between, uh, you know, in between the recordings. And uh, my boss turned around to me and said, you're the cameraman. No one cares what you think. Just point the camera. And I was, I was so offended. And I got home and Lindsay said to me, how was your day? I said, it was awful. It was horrendous. Um, I said, how was your day? She said, well, it was great. I got up this morning and, and I went to uh, an art gallery. And then I went to a museum and well, then I went to a coffee shop and I, I just watched people, you know, and I said to her, is that what actors do? And she said, well, yeah, when they're not working, I quit my job the next day. It sounded like a, a great way to live. <laughs> Did you learn from that, Duncan? Is do you, when you're going out and you, you know, I love people watching, do you sit and watch and can you learn as an actor and think, oh, he does that or he walks that way. Can you take stuff away from that and then plug it into future roles? Well, I, <laughs> You know, I, I think I like to pay attention. I, I think uh, if you can be absorbed in what's happening just now, whatever you are, then then you're kind of free from beating yourself up about things you've done in the past and, and worrying or, or hoping about things that might come in the future. You're just you're just present, you know, in, in the moment. And I think with uh, with watching people, everyone's different you know I, I I never had the privilege of going to drama school and I remember early in my career I I, I felt like maybe I'd missed out on on something and uh, I, I lived with an actor after I did my first job I did a show called Dream Team and he uh, moved in with me he'd gone to Lambda and well some days he would come home and I would say how was your day he was like oh don't mate was horrible I had to <laughs> pretend like for 24 hours that I'm someone else <laughs> and, and and I thought, well, that sounds great. I, you know, that, that sounds like something I would really enjoy, you know. And the next day he'd come home and I would say, how's your day? Oh, mate, yeah, we had to pretend to be a, a rock today. And I was like, you had to do what? Yeah, we, we had to pretend to be a rock. And I thought to myself, no, I, I don't know if I would be able to do that, you know. So I, I, I feel uh, everyone's uh, different in the way they approach things. And I, I think we, we kind of imbibe from others 
you know, if you hang around with someone long enough, you're going to pick up some of their mannerisms, some of the way they, they, they talk. I, I work a lot um, uh, with, with a guy from Venezuela and his, his English is so, you know, in, in Spanish, sometimes when you talk, they, sometimes you'll say, para mí, and then you'll say the sentence, which is, for me, this is how this is. Oh, right, and, so yeah. I, and that's how he speaks English. He says, well, for me, and da, da, da. And I find I, I've picked up the way that he talks, even to the extent of, you know, he'll make noises sometimes when he does stuff. And I, I noticed that I've done it. And I think any of us, if we're around people long enough, we start to behave a, a little bit like them. So um, I, I think, yeah, we're always, we're always taking that in. But then f- f- when I get a, uh, a job or a role, I, I, I have always found that the, um, the, the, the character comes from saying the lines. Yeah, I don't know if that's a kind of a Neanderthal way to, to approach it, but it's, it's the one that's worked for me. Scots Care. For Scots in London, in need of support. Financial, practical or emotional. Can I go backwards then? Uh, and I, I just, uh, this might seem like a strange question, but you were brought up in Lockerbie and yes. you, you were there and you lived in Lockerbie when the plane crash was there. Were you too young for that to affect you as a person? Or do you remember much about that? Or or do you have childhood memories that are kind of confused with news footage? Hmm. Well, no, because we didn't watch a lot of the news footage. Um, I, I mean, I was... Uh... 11 years old I think uh, it was 19, 1988 so yeah December so I, yeah I'd be 11 and yeah I remember the whole thing I'd been at, I'd been at scouts that evening and, and we'd left early and I actually came past um, very close to where the, the, the fuselage had landed on, on Sherwood Crescent and I'd come home that night and uh, the scouts in Lockerbie at the time I don't know if they do it anymore it's a long time since I lived there but they would deliver the Christmas cards. So people would take the Christmas cards to the scouts and the scouts would deliver them. And I had some left to deliver. And I remember coming in, we lived in this, it was a, it was a big old house that, that my dad had bought and uh, he'd done it all up and it had this massive door and then a wee porch and then, you know, a, a, a smaller door. Um, there, there was stained glass windows, a smaller wooden door. And even in winter, we would leave the, the front, the, the big front door open, that you know, it would be the porch and then the, the stained glass window doors, you know, and I came in there and my mother appeared at the end of the, the hallway. So she was maybe about kind of 15 or 20 feet down by the kitchen. And she said, oh, we have to get the, the Christmas cards. You've got more to deliver. And of course, I didn't want to. So, you know, in a fit of peak, I, I, uh, I, I locked the, the door behind me and put the key in my pocket. And when she appeared back at the door, there was a kind of a, a, a rumbling, you know, like a low rumbling. And then the, the door started to shake a wee bit and then and in my head because I was into ghosts and UFOs and all that kind of stuff I thought you know it's a ghost and and the door then started to shake you know completely off its hinges you know like rattling and my mother and I were looking at each other and uh, and then the the whole of the stained glass windows went bright orange and we ran in the living room and we had these big kind of sash windows and you could see the other side of the motorway and there was a just a, a mushroom of, of flames um, and I, I remember picking up the, the phone and bizarre as this is, you know, I was an 11 year old kid. I was that excited to dial 999 because, well, I, you know, I, w- I was an 11 year old kid and I wanted to call 999, you know, it was, you, you don't really understand the gravity of the situation, I, I suppose. Um, and of course all the phones were, were dead and we went outside 
and this was um, this was well Lockerbie in 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 Scotland in 1988. So it was it was winter, you know. And yeah. I, I just remember it was you could feel the heat. It was a, a, a tropical heat. Um, and yeah, I, I my, my sisters had been in the bath, and Mum went up and got them, and we went along the road to my auntie's house, who was not. Uh, an auntie you know the, the ones you just call an auntie yes. and, and I, yes. I remember being in the top bedroom and I remember her saying I hope those poor people got out of the the house you know and I just mm. remember thinking you know how could they it was yeah. um, and and you know we, we had no concept of, of what had happened but of course in, in the days days and months and years ahead it, it became very clear but um yeah I I, I think with kids because I was so young you kind of absorb these things. Um, you, you know, do, and I, I, like, I understand what you say in that you don't appreciate the gravitas or, or you know, the, the death that was caused there, but it's obviously been indelibly inked into your psyche. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I, I have the sense that my life has been telling me in various ways that you don't know when it's going to be over. So... You know, I was at school with, with some of the kids, Lindsay and, and Paul Somerville, and Paul had handed out, um, it was our last day at school that day, you know, and, and Paul had handed out prizes and Christmas gifts and assembly. And, well, his whole family, they, they died in the, in, the, in the disaster. And to, to have been at school with people in the morning and in the, the, the evening for them not to be there anymore. Like I say, you, you don't process it. And an adult would process it because an adult has a, a, a little bit longer to, to have a sense of life. And, and this, these things that have happened to you, as you say, it's, it's given you this, what would you call it? The, this, this feeling to kind of carpe, carpe the diem, you know, grab the, you know, don't do something you want to do, you don't want to do, take life by the horns and go and do it. And this is why you became an actor. And do you think, what, there was a pivotal point where you decided, I'm going to do it. I'm going to become an actor. Was there a pivotal point that you thought, this is working? I just, do you know what? I just never imagined that I, I wouldn't make it. I, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know how or why that is. Um, I, I was just never afraid to, to try. And, you know, I, I think uh, in, in life, I remember when I was younger, I, I always had this sense that, being lying on your deathbed, you know, and having this feeling of going, oh, I've got it all wrong. I want to try again and, and realizing, well, that's, that's never going to happen. So I, I think I, I've always in life done what I wanted to do. And, you know, I think there's a fine line between bravery and, and, and stupidity, but I, I just never worried about it. Well, what brought you to a lot, of, um, well, a lot of people in the UK was when you were in Holby City. How long were you in that for? I was in that show for um, about two and a half years. The contract was for three years, but I, I ended up just doing two and a half years. And I, I wonder, because when I look at the stuff that you've done and, and, and reading about you and having spoke to you over email and stuff like that, I kind of think, was that a double-edged sword for you? Because as an actor, you kind of think, wow, I'm, I'm going in week after week. I'm getting a paycheck. I'm, I'm, I've got regular work. Mm. But for somebody like you, Duncan, I kind of wondered whether you would have got itchy feet, you would have thinking, is this stretching me? Should I bring it off and doing something else? Well, yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, so when I got that job, I was under the impression that it was a, 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 a rolling yearly contract. Um, my agent at the time told me it was a three-year contract, but we could get out after a year, you know? Mm. Um, and 
well, of course, I, I went, I did it, and I had a great time at Holby. It was a great place to to learn, and and I I met some some great people, and um, but I found out at the end of the first year that the the break in the contract wasn't on our side; it was on the, the side of the BBC. So <laughs> you 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 know we were there for as long as they wanted us to be there within that three year contract, um, and yeah, I, that's exactly what I found. You know, um, it was such a, a kind of pivotal kind of time in my life because. I started there in 2007 and I finished in 2010 and I remember getting the job and I remember the feeling of euphoria and, oh, you know, I was so blown away that I'd, I'd finally got something that was, um, that was a, a, of the, the kind of profile of things that, that I really wanted to do. And then when you're going in and you're doing the same thing and playing the same character every day, you realise it's, it, for me, it was, it, I, really, I really felt like I was doing that job. Um, and it, it became more and more like a job, you know, like a, not a nine to five, it's a seven to seven. But um, I just started to feel maybe a year, a year and a half in that I'd got everything I wanted and it hadn't kind of filled that gnawing feeling inside of me that there was something more to life than, than this. Now, what, what if your agent called you tomorrow and said, oh, Grey's Anatomy have called for you. Would you consider something like that? One of these big, long-running American shows? If my agent calls me tomorrow and tells me there's a job, I'll go and do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, you but know, you don't seem to me like the person who's driven by cash because you look at the money that these people... Who's the Scots guy who's on Grey's Anatomy, the ginger Scots guy? And, you know, if you look up his year, yearly salary, it's in the millions. But, you know, <laughs> I, you don't appear to me as someone as much as we all need to pay the pay the rent or pay the mortgage you don't strike me as someone who would do it just for the cash no <clears throat> i mean I, I i feel as an actor if you're working you're 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 already in maybe the the the, the luckiest 10 percent of actors because many great great actors they, they don't work as often as they should um but for me, yeah, the, the, the money thing was and is uh, something, of course, it's nice to be comfortable and to be, um, you know, I'm, I'm living in a place in Somerset now. I have my own home. And, you know, it's the first time I'm 45 this year. And it's the first time where I've, I've had a period where I haven't had to worry about money. And, and you know, I've been doing this for, well, 20 years or so, you know. But, I, was going to, I was sorry, I was going to ask you, did Star Wars open doors for you professionally then? Did that, was, was there a catalyst there where there was a role and then, pe you know, people knew who Duncan Powell was? No, uh, I, I still don't think people people know who, who, who Duncan Powell is. <laughs> I, meant, I, uh, I meant professionally, sorry. No, no, but I, I do you know what, I, I, I felt, you know, I, I spent a lot of my career post-Holby booking jobs that I thought were going to open doors. And... I realized that that I was maybe not enjoying the present job as much as I was because I was already thinking about the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. And I did think when I booked uh, uh, Star Wars and, and the way that that came about was so, well, mystic and unfathomable. Um, but I, you know, I, I didn't have a part in the film. I only had a part after the the rewrites and the reshoots. And, and um, I, I remember thinking, again, this was 2016, I remember thinking, now I've made it. Now I won't have to worry about uh, money or jobs or auditions. Everything's going to come. And I, I don't think I worked for a year after that. Wow. Wow. That's that's to somebody like me. That's mind boggling. Because, you know, as you know, as a punter, you, you kind of think people who are in Star Wars. That's it. You write your own check. You know? Well, I wish it was. It's, uh, sadly yeah. for me, not the case. Do you get do you get nervous if you arrive on the set? Because you're also in the night manager. You you were doing you did Halo. Uh, was it last year you did Halo? Uh, yeah. You know, 
And, you know, is there a, when you arrive on set and, you know, there's somebody big across from you and like the night manager or Halo, is there a voice inside your head that goes, Duncan, don't make an arse of this? Um, no, uh, there used to be. It wasn't, it wasn't so much don't make an arse. I remember doing uh, 24 in, I think, uh, early 2014. I did 24 Live Another Day and I was working with John Cassar and Keith Sutherland and, and John Boyega and, I remember being a little nervous and I remember when I met Kiefer Sutherland, of course I grew up watching Kiefer Sutherland, The Lost Boys and 24 was one of my favorite shows. And, and yeah, there was a, there was a sense of, of being in the, the presence of, of people that were kind of world famous. Um, And and I, I feel back then in 2014, I was maybe still had that feeling that maybe I'd kind of, I was going to get found out, you know, because mm. I, you know, I didn't go to drum school. I didn't do the, you know, I, I never went that route of, of, of training and, and feeling like, I, you know, I always thought at some point I'm going to get found out, but um, I just kept doing it. And now, you know, I, I go on jobs and, and my mentality has kind of changed because I think maybe early in my career, I wanted people to notice, uh, you know, in, in, in the sense that, you know, I wanted a chance and I, I had that, it's not desperation, but you just have this feeling of, of wanting to have the opportunity. And so you, you maybe have this, uh, you give off this energy of, of needing something from someone else. And now when I, I do things, while I, I've lived a very different life in, in, the, in the last uh, seven years or so, you know, many, many, many things have, have changed and, and uh, happened. And I've, I've been and seen some things that, well, I never thought were possible, um, you know, with my rational Western thinking mind. And and now when I go places, I think, well, I always feel I'm going somewhere to serve. So wherever I go, I feel like um, there's going to be someone there that I'm going to meet, that I'm going to have a conversation with that um, is going to be of benefit to them, that might help them look at things in a different way. So so now I feel when I go places, I feel like uh, it's a, it's a blessing for whoever it is I'm coming into contact with because maybe I have some I have something to share and yeah. I think maybe early on in, in, in my career I, I maybe I didn't think I had something to share and maybe I thought that the, the 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 work the career the job was the thing that was going to define who I am but I realized if, if you live your life that way um, and you define yourself by your success in your career or as an actor then then your definition of success is 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 limited only to the periods that you're working and to the success you have in your career whereas now I look at it very differently I, I think uh, your your measure as a, a human being is is measured in, in you know it's it, it, it's a different thing and we can make ourselves very small by thinking that the things that we do are what we are are you a big um, social media user? Have you developed a thick skin as an actor? Do you do you have well, any criticism of yourself? Well, I, do you know what? I, I I don't care what people think about me. I used to. I, I used to be a, a big thing for me, and I think that the freedom of 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 not caring is not that I don't care. It's just that I don't worry about it. Hmm. I, I think uh, if if we take the time to examine our own mind for long enough, we'll realize we are creating a narrative inside our head about things. And if you can look at that from a kind of logical sense, you must realize then that if you're doing it yourself, everyone else is doing it. So there's, there's not a lot of people that are thinking too much about you. And I've never taken praise to heart. You know, I've, I've never felt like if someone said I did a good job, that, that's, that I did a good job. I, I never 
felt that way. And so in the same way, if you don't take the praise to, to heart and, and make that change who you are, then it, it's just as easy not to take criticism to, to, to heart either. Scots Care. Helping to break the cycle of deprivation for Scots in London. Are you, are you comfortable talking about your, your belief system or your faith? You're a Buddhist, aren't you? Well, I, I practice, um, yeah, I practice Nichiren Buddhism and I, I've been practicing that Buddhism now for um, 12, just over 12 years. I think when we define ourselves though as, I mean, that was my doorway into uh, starting to look at myself as a, as a, as a, as a human being and, and my place here in this, in this universe. And I will always practice this Buddhism. However, I, I think to call oneself a Buddhist or a Christian or a or a a Muslim or a, a Jew is we're separating ourselves in in many ways from from everyone else in humanity. You know, at, at, the, at the core, we're all human beings, and we're all on this kind of ball of water, flying around a ball of fire in the sky. And I think uh, I think divisions are unhelpful um and i think i i think there's no one way to understanding the truth of what we are you know there's not a there's not a christian truth and a buddhist truth and a and a and a jewish truth there's just you know there's there's just finding out what you are and did, does your belief does your belief keep you balanced does it connect you to the planet or does it you know i'm always interested in mm-hmm. what keeps people sane in this crazy world that we live in well, what it's, what it's done for me is it has uh, opened many doors. And the study of, of Buddhism, you know, I, I started practicing Buddhism in 2010. At that time, I'd been in Holby for three years. I lived in a nice house. I drove a nice car. I had everything that I thought was going to make me happy. And I wasn't, you know, I, I just wasn't. And, and I remember uh, I, I went out for, for lunch with the casting director, Liz Stoll, and I told her I'd started meditating because while I was going through a breakup with the girl I was living with. And well, she said to me, oh, I used to chant. And she wrote down the words, Namyo Horenge Cho. And, and she um, said, look, I can introduce you to a guy who I went and met. And well, he told me all about this practice and uh, he just had something this guy he just had something and I didn't know what it was and he asked me why I was there and I said to him that I had everything that I thought I wanted but I wasn't happy and also I if I had a problem or an issue it would be running a a constant train through my head so I wouldn't be focusing on the person I was talking to I would be focusing on the thing that's going on in my head and wondering how I could get it into conversation so that we could talk about my problem you know and um, the, the Buddhist practice for me has, has really quieted, 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 yeah. quieted things down um, inside my mind. But also it's kind of the, the way that my life, the trajectory and the changes inside of my life that have taken place this last 12 or 13 years have been unfathomable. And if you said to me, look, Duncan, if you start doing this practice and you chant Nam Yoho Renge Kyo every day, um, well, in 12 years' time, you're going to feel like this. Well, I would have bitten your hand off. But if you'd have said to me, you know, for that to happen, you're going to have to lose everything you have. You know, you're going to lose your sister to, to, to suicide. You're going to have to have open heart surgery. <laughs> and uh, you're going to have instances where you think you're going to die. 
I would have probably not signed up. But those those things that happened, I realized that that something has taken place in the sense that, well, they say when you, you chant Nam Yoho Renge Cho, what you're doing is you're 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 summoning forth the Buddha nature that that exi- you know that exists within yourself. And as you do that, the Buddha nature that is inherent in all things in this universe rises up to protect you um, externally. And, and that has for sure been my experience. And you, you mentioned very sadly that Lindsay passed away in 2013. She was very young. And mm-hmm. did, it give you a, did it give you a focus? Did it give you a way to deal with the, the grief that could have overwhelmed you? Yeah, well, it's, you know, it's the first, it's funny. I, I had gone in, in 2013 to Peru uh, in, in the beginning of 2013 to go and, and drink something called ayahuasca with, uh, with shamans. Uh, and it was a, a, a powerful, powerful process. And I remember the shaman at the end, um, you have kind of one-on-one with these, these shamans. And he said to me, a lot of people when they come and they, they drink this medicine, they will realize what's taking place here, you know, during these, these days. He said, for some people, they'll go home and maybe six months later, something will happen. And then everything that has happened here will, will, will reveal itself. And, and, and well, six months after I got back, I, I took the phone call to, to say that, that Lindsay had taken her own life. And I will never be able to put in words what it is that happened when I took that call. But it was like, a, you know, like an explosion mm-hmm. of understanding. And... I love my sister dearly and my other sister, Catherine and I, we, we, we say really it was the most terrible, terrible gift that we've been given because the way I, I live now and the way I, I understand life and see life and, and uh, try and behave as a human being is on account of, of, of what happened. And I think if that had have happened maybe six or seven years previously, I'd probably be dead. And I'd probably be dead because I would have thought, isn't this awful? And wallowed in the grief of it all and played the victim of, not intentionally, of course, but we have a tendency to feel like, you know, why is this thing happening to me? And sometimes when bad things happen, we can go one of two ways. We can, we can try and make things better, in which case we're kind of working in harmony with the universe, or we can make things worse. And by making things worse, what I mean is we can, we can uh, kind of, take a very selfish approach to, to, to what it is that's taking place and not think about the people around us. And well, I, I might have, you know, drunk myself to death, who knows, but you know, as it happened, I experienced the, the, the death of my sister from a, 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 a place that um, everybody else in the family experienced it in their own way. Of course they did, you know, grief is a, a, a unique experience and, and yet you know, the, the suffering that we, we go through is not unique to, to the individual. Suffering is suffering. It doesn't matter how you're feeling it or what your mind is telling you or what it is that you're grieving. You are going through a, a process of energetic transition, I suppose. And uh, the, the way that my life changed after I lost my sister was I became quite free as a, as a human being. And, and what I mean by that is I realized the gift of what it meant to be alive and I also realized how again as if I needed another lesson how quickly life can be over but the thing I think she taught me the most was that I you were never going to know 
what is mm. going on inside someone else's head. And so at every moment, you know, make efforts to, to be kind and to be, to be compassionate because, you know, in this world, no one is setting out to, to be bad human beings. You know, people don't make a plan to be, you know, evil. Things happen to them and they behave in, in, in certain ways. And in the same way, um, when, when people cause us to suffer, sometimes we, we think, well, why would that person do that to us? And, and actually, you know, people that, that cause suffering, they are suffering themselves, usually. Um, and, and so it's, it's trying to have a, a kind of grander perspective of other people. And wow, you knew Lindsay, she was a light, you know, that, that girl, anybody that, that speaks about her only has good things to say about her. Yeah, I, I, did, I knew your sister. I mean, not tremendously well, but, you know, she was a light. You know, she was a tremendous person. And I, I wonder, you, you talked about a grander perspective. So uh, everything that's gone on, has that given you a grander perspective just in life in general? Do you, are you less of a worrier? And I'm just talking about paying the gas bill, having to pick this up from Sainsbury's, all the, the nonsense that, like you said, rumbles through your head like a train. Mm-hmm. Are, you, are you able to kind of create a, a less worrisome equilibrium about all these things? Yes. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I have my moments. You know, I, I had some news yesterday that, that, that uh, you know, I, I, I had believed something was coming through in a certain way, which made things very secure for me for a, a long period. And, well, those, that, a couple of things changed. And, and then, well, maybe I have to start thinking, well, can I stay in this house for another year? Da, da, da. And, and, and actually, what happens is I, it's not that I don't experience the, 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 the process of now what is going to happen. It's just that I don't pay a lot of attention to it because the, the mind is, is something I, I believe really that's set up um, through our, our social conditioning. You know, the, the, the fear we have inside of us is, is it, it's not usually our fear. It's a product of the way we've grown up or the things our parents told us. And um, so... I'm aware of what goes on inside my head. I just try and be aware of it. I don't try and stick my fingers in and, 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 and run with it because what you do when you, when you start to worry, if you, if you knew the power of the mind to create the reality that you live in, we would all of us be super conscious of what's going on inside there. And, and certainly we would do everything we can to find ways not to give energy to negative thought processes. Now, of course, that takes time, but the mind... You know, some days it will say to you, Marcus, for instance, you said you had three kids. Some days you'll have really good days with the kids, right? And you'll, you'll feel like I did good today. You know, the mind will tell you I did a good job today. But the days that you don't do good jobs, your mind will say, oh, you were bad. You should have done that differently. Oh, you've done this or that. So your own mind, which is how we define ourselves, is sometimes telling you you're not so great. Now, Anything that works in that way, I, I wouldn't, you know, the mind's a great thing if, if you're cooking on a hot stove and it's telling you not to put your fingers in the, in, in the soup. But, but if, it's, uh, if it's sometimes telling you you're good and sometimes telling you you're bad, I would wonder if that's uh, uh, something to lean on when times are tough. And, and do you know what's, from an acting point of view, you know, this has obviously given you a pragmatism, but do you know what's coming up next for you or are you, are you waiting? Well, I, I have some things that I can't talk about that are, that are coming. Um, I, I, I spent uh, a good portion of last year, nearly seven months, working on a project, um, which, which is coming out very soon. Um, and, well, you know, in terms of, of what comes next, 
uh, as usual, I've, I've not worked since then. So uh, I, I don't know what's coming next, but I think that's, that's, that's I, I think the life of an actor is a, a kind of microcosm of what life is like. And well, maybe experience it a, a little differently in the sense that you never know when your next job's going to come from. You know, you never know when your next paycheck's going to come from. Now, a lot of people can't live like that. A lot of people, they, they like the, the security of knowing I'm going to get paid at the end of the month. I can pay for this and this and this. The idea of not knowing that for some people would be, you know, horrific. And yet at the same time, here we are all, all staggering through life, not knowing, you know, when we're going to take our last breath. And we don't worry about it at all. You know, we we kind of we kind of put it to one side and 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 almost push it away and and, and the, you know and feel like well that's that's not going to happen to us, which of course it is. Um, but that's how I feel the the life of an actor is. You're experiencing that on a, an almost daily basis in the sense that you you know none of us know what's coming next. But if you're an actor, that's just something that applies to your your career as well. Unless you're you're one of the you know very fortunate. Uh, three or four percent at the top end of the business who, who get to, to to pick and choose the the things that come next for them. Duncan, it's been an absolute joy speaking to you. I really have enjoyed it. I could listen to you all day, actually. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you for coming on the Scots Care Podcast. Thank you for having me. Scots Care, supporting London Scots with financial grants, welfare advice, counselling, sheltered housing, jobs coaching, and family support. 